O come, O come, Emmanuel. I speak to the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. Amen. Last week, when we first met John the Baptist this Advent, I suggested that though he is the figure of the season, starring in half of our Advent Sundays, he isn't exactly popular with the Christmas crowd. You won't find him on a Christmas card, I said. You won't find him on your Advent calendar. John is the Advent surprise, reminding us that this is a season of paradox inviting us to live in a space of both joy and judgment, a time of repentance as we await salvation. And I was fully prepared to go full-on repentance with my sermon today. After all, last week we heard John the Baptist proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This week, as the crowds gather round him for this baptism, he insults them. You brood of vipers. And then he threatens and scares them. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. The people, sincere, afraid, cry out in seeming despair, what then should we do? What then should we do? This is the perfect setup for a rousing, fire-breathing sermon about repentance, changing our hearts and our lives so that we might face Christ, not as a child, but when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But as I studied the passage, I was put in mind not so much of fire and brimstone, nor even very much of repentance, but of, well, Monty Python. <laughs> Monty Python and the Holy Grail, to be exact. Now, I'll tell you that I have never once referred to Monty Python in a sermon before. <laughs> and some of you are probably wishing that I wouldn't now. But those of you who have seen the Holy Grail, and if you were alive in the 1970s, or if you have ever hung out with a teenage boy, ever, you have seen the Holy Grail. And once you've seen it, you can never forget the rabbit of Kerbenog. Now, a little backstory in case you are one of the few who have not seen this movie. In this movie, the usual team of Monty Python players appear as knights, including Sir Lancelot the Brave, Sir Galahad the Pure, and Sir Robin, not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot, and so on. They are part of King Arthur's quest for the Holy Grail, undergoing various tests in their pursuit, including fighting the knights who say knee, and being insulted by a castle full of Frenchmen. 
Finally, they meet Tim the Enchanter, who says he can lead them to the place where the grail is hidden, but warns them that it is guarded by a monster with nasty, big, pointed teeth. As they gather close to the spot, peering at the mouth of the cave where the grail is hidden, Tim the Enchanter continues to describe the dangers they face. As they imagine the monster they must vanquish, suddenly a white rabbit hops out from the cave. And though Tim the Enchanter warns them that the rabbit is the beast of Carabinog, that he is the most foul, cruel, and bad-tempered rodent you've ever set eyes on with a vicious streak a mile wide, the knights can't take the threat too seriously, and neither can the audience. After all the buildup, this is the fiend they must face to win the grail. Well, I confess I felt a bit this way after John the Baptist's terrifying buildup about our need to repent, to bear fruit worthy of repentance, lest we be cut down and thrown into the eternal flames. Like the crowd surrounding John, I want to cry out, what then shall I do? Imagining the road to be steep, repentance arduous. And then John the Baptist pulls out a white rabbit. Do you have two coats? Share with the one who has none. Oh, do you have some extra food? Share that too, he says. The tax collectors looked down upon his Roman collaborators also asked what they should do. John the Baptist says, be fair. Don't cheat people. Then mercenary soldiers who work for the Romans for pay, not loyalty, they also ask what they should do. And John the Baptist says, don't use your position of power to threaten people or extort money. Don't use your low salary as a reason to do something shady to line your pockets. I find myself sort of shaking my head and trying to convince myself that this is what I'm hearing. To bear fruits of repentance, to be a tree bearing good fruit, I need to do what any decent person would do? What all of us were taught in kindergarten? Share? Be fair? Don't bully? Don't whine? Suddenly, this feels possible. Suddenly, I don't feel so bad. Suddenly, I'm laughing because whether or not he meant to, John the Baptist has just played a great joke on all of us. We expect the Lord of our life, creator of the universe, to ask impossible things, to require that we go out into the frightening world and that we slay beasts and we're brave and we're heroic in ways that will garner headlines. But John the Baptist is telling us to be good right where we are. God is calling us to follow God, to live good lives in the very lives we've been given. We are to be heroic 
by being kind and generous with those around us. If we have extra, we're supposed to share it. The crowds were probably not filled with rich people, but regular people, people like you and me. We, we are to make sure that those around us have enough from our extra. We are to bear fruit by being faithful in our work, even if our work is kind of awful, even if we don't love it, even if it's humdrum, or even if we question some of the policies of our corporate bosses. John the Baptist doesn't tell the tax collectors to quit their jobs. He doesn't tell the soldiers to become pacifists. Rather, he tells them to be as good as they can be within the confines of their positions. Be fair, be honest, be kind. Don't focus on yourself and your own complaints. This is all, well, extraordinarily doable. This might, like the rabbit of Kerbinog, make you laugh out loud. This is good news. And since this is Gaudete Sunday, the Sunday in Advent when we are to have some joy, for the first word of our introit, rejoice, comes from the letter to the Philippians that we heard today, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And we hear from the prophet Zephaniah that we are to rejoice because God's presence has brought not judgment, but joy and mercy. This is the Sunday when we lighten Advent blue or purple with a little rose, rose vestments, a rose candle in our Advent wreath. This is the day when we lift our hearts a little bit to have hope in this season. So perhaps it makes sense that John the Baptist too is offering a bit of a laugh to lighten up a hard message. After all, as the theologian Karl Barth tells us, laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. And Karl Barth always kept over his desk a print of John the Baptist from Grunwald's Eisenheim altarpiece, the one with the tall, skinny John the Baptist with a long finger pointing beyond himself to Christ on the cross. That was Bart's reminder that his whole job was not to think about himself, but to point to Christ. We too are to point to Christ with works worthy of repentance, of turning our hearts and lives around so that they are focused on God. For though I find John the Baptist's easy instructions awfully light after all of his grave warnings, his white rabbit, like the rabbit of Kerbinog, has a surprise. In the Holy Grail, the knights find out that the rabbit actually is pretty vicious, a powerful adversary. And there is a hysterical scene when a number of the knights are bested by this rabbit. You can YouTube it. For John the Baptist, his white rabbit, these mild instructions, well, after that, he reminds us that another is coming, the Messiah, who is greater than him. And the Messiah will judge us, separating wheat from chaff. So we must prepare. 
So in these last days of Advent, what do you have enough of? Will you share your extra? Maybe some socks? But will you share your extra with those who do not have enough? What do you do in your day-to-day -day life? Can you bring fairness and kindness to that work? Can you be satisfied with your work so that you don't take your dissatisfaction out on others? What John the Baptist is saying here is that we are to bear fruit here, now, in our lives as they are. Whether we're teachers or lawyers, nurses or therapists, florists or hairstylists or social workers, parents or neighbors or retired, whether you're on the altar guild or the vestry, whether you serve on the altar or in the choir. We don't have to be superhuman or travel around the globe to work with the poorest of the poor. We don't even have to be extraordinarily courageous. But we do have to bear fruit in the lives that have been given to us by God. And then when the time comes to be judged, and come it will, though we know neither the day nor the hour, when God comes to separate the beautiful fruit of the wheat of our lives from our chaffy, dry hearts, we will be able to rejoice. We will be able to rejoice for the God who comes to judge us is also the God who came first to love us. The God who will judge us is the one who always, always judges with mercy. And that's no joke. So beloved, rejoice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.